process of Anapanasati is a graduated dripping away into the core of experience which is uh, pure awareness so awareness although it's uh, awareness is a uh, continual possibility presence is continual possibility so you're bringing your mind to the present moment that's always a possibility but as you recognize you know it's a flash and then you're <coughs> off on the next bus somewhere it doesn't hold doesn't sustain can't hold it in fact even the attempt to hold it takes it away <coughs> into some kind of you know tight experience of, of holding, trying to sustain through time. So the release of awareness is release from the past, the future, and also from the present, from holding into the present. So the, all you can say is it's release. It hasn't got a place, it doesn't have a time. You can't really say things like it continues or it doesn't continue. So they ask the Buddha, does the, the Targata continue or not continue? And he'd say, none of this applies. It doesn't, doesn't work like that. Because it's not, you can't measure this. So the mind is sometimes likened to space, to vast space. And these maybe are help, just helpful analogies, helpful um, suggestions just to try to you know, introduce a perception like vast space and just, just let that touch your awareness for a while and see if there's some kind of echo or resonance of rising, being able to acknowledge that, rise into that. Sometimes the problem is that our, our whole perceptions of reality are so um, constructed to exclude things like space, silence, timelessness, you know, these are concepts, but most of, most of your daily life experience is about solid objects, time being a, a completely compulsive and total reality, um, location, physical reality is exactly, you know, it's, it's absolutely solid and emotionally um, supported with urgency and fascination and fear. So yeah, you know, because this is what, in a way, we believe in, or we're we're trained in. This is what we experience. This is the karma of uh, of being enmeshed in this realm of becoming, where we're always becoming this and becoming that, and going to this and having been that, and going to be this and trying to get to that and trying not to be this. There's always that kind of tugging and pulling and lingering and wishing and nostalgia and dread I hope this is becoming there's no presence in it we're always about to become or wanting to become or wanting to not become (laughs) one's experience is, is so much calibrated in those terms we have to introduce things like the space or awareness and perhaps your mind just kind of judders momentarily to a halt and 
be here now, as they say, you know. <laughs> where, where, when? As <laughs> 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 the awake, waking up's like this. You try to calibrate awakening up, waking up. Define it. This is so you know. You use a meditation object to, as a as a guide through the realm of becoming and out of that that experience. And so, so the awareness will only follow perceptions. You, you can't say, "Okay, now drop everything. You be liberated." It won't do it. So you have to guide it with uh, perceptions, and the perceptions here are. Any perception that's uh, able to sustain mindfulness and clarity will do, but here we're using the perception of the breath. And just to um, make it clear that your mind awareness does not experience any physical realities. You experience mental impressions of physical realities. The mind is is connected to the sense data that's connected to what the eye tells it's out, tell it's out there, what the ear says is out there. It only interprets codes and information. The mind does not contact external objects. The mind is only contacts the internal codes and messages that are then immediately translated into notional external realities. This is the experience of perception or recognition. So, in, with the breath, then, we first of all work on the, the premise of you know, physical breath, you know, mind contemplating the breath as some movement in the body and passage of air in the body, because that's, that's the way we feel it, or experience it. And right there you have to work with a lot of uh, powerful karmic tendencies to, to drift off, to not be present, um, some of the aversion, desire, and then just plain muddledness, um, like the deluded, muddled states where the none never settles into anything. It's just settling into agitation and trembling, and it doesn't really get a clear reading on anything. So this is this is the working with the the five hindrances and the. the the trades, the habits, the patterns that have been set down through karma, through birth and death and these kinds of things. So just to work with this, you, you can actually get a clear uh, perception of the breath. So we only think we're breathing. So you have an idea, oh, I'm breathing, yeah, it's probably going in and out of my body. So you, one comes with that idea so what you experience is breath going in and out of your body because you, one comes with that idea. That's what. But in terms of accurate perception, it's more like there's a perception, a recognition of particular sensations, physical sensations, and those are interpreted immediately. You know, you don't have to think about it. Perception is quicker than thought. Have you noticed that? So, like maybe you 
it's dark and you're walking along the, the street and you see this shape and you, it's a shape, that's the first thing, you know it's not and you know, then you begin to recognize it's moving moving shape, so there's perhaps a little bit of alarm there you know, see how your perceptions work first just walking along the street, then there's a shape shadowy, dark, you know and then it's moving, so there's a little bit of alarm you, know. you started to recognize moving shape and that means animal, object, alive, you know, unknown so there's a little bit of, you know, you get the feeling, tone from that, the resonance out of that and then as you walk along a little bit further you see oh, it's, it's a man, you know, so then perhaps a little bit of uncertainty about that and then you walk and you oh it's George and then click, you know, and then the mood changes and then, oh no, I, I owe George ten dollars. <laughs> Shift, shifts again. <laughs> That's perception, and you see how your the the your mental formations—that is what the mind does around that—is dependent upon those perceptions. So you get first of all the, the visual contact. So you can certainly see something, but you don't know what it is. So you start to get a recognition. Your recognition is just sort of fuzzy. You just know you don't know it. Then you know it's it's a it's a creature. Then you know it's a human. Then you know it's a man. And so that your your mental formations, which are the, the mental moods, resonances, uh, psycholog- psychological, emotional patterns, are then dependent upon that. And then you you see it's, it's someone you know who you feel good about. So you get a kind of warm relief, perhaps interest. And then and then maybe having got that perception, then you start to run through a few files on that perception, mm-hmm. George, uh-oh, you know, and then, oh dear. And so there you get... <laughs> That's how it works. So perception is based first on the, the external sense consciousness, you know, so you get a visual perception. So your, your mental, mental activity is based first upon that, that external sense base and then upon an internal sense base, which is your concept of George and the fact that you owe him ten bucks, you know. So then you get another mental formation based on that. So you get perceptions that are based directly upon the external senses and then perceptions that are based upon the internal sense base of the mind. And all of those have um, these karma formations. Karma formations which can be things like anxiety, interest, um, you know, we call them psychological, emotional patterns. And these are things that, that just kind of come out. You don't really have a lot of say over it in, in, that, in that sense. They just come out dependent upon what's happened to you, um, way, way that you act, um, dependent upon these kind of things. So if you see a dog, you know, and you've always had good relationships with dogs, then you feel warm. If you've had a dog and you've always been bitten and barked at by dogs, you feel fear. That's, so it's like that, your, your karma formation is based upon your perception which is first of all a visual thing, recognize it's a dog and a mental thing, your knowledge, your history with dogs this is perception and mental formations, these two aggregates now you don't have much karma going with your breath, that's why you meditate upon it rather than dogs <laughs> um, <laughs> unless you're, you're asthmatic then you perhaps get a little bit of 
anxiety around it. But by and large, it's, gen- it's your home base, so it's, it's a place that's neutral to, to, to pleasant. This means it's, it's possible to, to put aside um, the mood swings, say, of anxiety or, or, or stimulation of fascination with it. And mostly the problem with the breath is boredom. Boredom and restlessness, dullness and restlessness. Shifting off it, falling out, falling asleep. Mind hungry for some sort of stimulation, running off here, hither and thither. So just focusing on, on the experience of the breath, first of all, is that way in which one extracts awareness from the grip of the five hindrances. And this is in itself, you know, um, a practice, a, a continual practice for years of just doing this. And there may be times when, you know, the mind is actually out of the grip for periods of time and it's, you begin to experience the benefit of that. And yes, that it is possible. And in that time, in those, those, those experiences then, deepening one's, uh, one's awareness of the meditation object. So the power then of that, that holding and what the mind feels like when it's strong and healthy. And because of this, then, then in this whole process of Dharma practice, the experience of a healthy, strong mind is so, is so gladdening that one finds it easy to give up distractions. The, the one, lives, one can live a more uh, uh, life much simpler and give up things because you, you realize that the strength and gladness of the mind is, is much more uplifting and supportive than having lots of stuff going on. Once one is able to get a fairly steady focus on, a, on, the, on the breathing, and you, you need that in order to have something to hold on to, to, to push away and to pull out from the power of the hindrances. Then you can begin to get more uh, direct awareness of what's going on in that breathing process, and you see actually it's a, it's a process of the, the um, a perception, the mind experiencing something, a sort of flowing something, a flowing uh, stimulation of something. Uh, but really, what you're experiencing is, is the mind's behavior, the mind rippling, the mind trembling, the mind being affected. You know, there's no, not a physical reality there. You infer, one infers a physical reality, but actually what you experience is the awareness rippling, trembling, and so on. Now if you just consider, test this out with your visual consciousness, this is the mind consciousness, test this out with the visual consciousness, you look around and you see yeah, there's a lot of people in this room. 
But actually, you don't, you don't see people. You see light and shapes. And that means people. That's the perception. It's, it's quite accurate. But it's not what you see. You see forms and a background. So, but you, what, what does it take to do that? One has to have relinquished people, which is the fascination, the irritation, the criticism, the comparisons, the what does she think of me, the how do I feel about him, what's he doing, all that kind of stuff. All that kind of clustering around the, the personification experience, that, that fiddling with it, that seething over it, that, <laughs> you know, to, you see, what do you see? <laughs> see what you see, and stop, and, and let go of the inferences. You know, now we're so strongly programmed into, into, into the, the personality experience that we're always looking at people to, to find out who we are, for reassurance, for warmth, for affection, uh, make sure he's not you know, do something weird to me, or whatever. So yeah, I mean, is that, that's the karma. But right now, in a meditation retreat, you have this strong encouragement just to trust the sila, the precepts, the form, the conventions, and really, if you are loyal to those, so that there's no room for, any, for doubt or for your mind to wander off, you really hold yourself into the retreat form, then you have the great benefit of being able to drop all this stuff about people and, and him and her and what, what he's like and she's like and authority figures and women and men and <laughs> which comes to stuff. And, you know, the, the thing that goes on, you're just seeing shapes. You know. That's what your eye see, sees. And then you look at it more, contemplate it more, more steadily you don't even see shapes, actually. You see light, different, different uh, dimensions, different tonalities of light. And then out of that, your visual consciousness picks, that's the background, that's the foreground. That's the form, that's the background. And if you, if you, you can adjust your visual focus, and if you look at, if you adjust your fi- visual focus to, to wide open, that is for, Everything you can, so everything in between, you know, your outstretched hands on either side of you, you hold an equal focus, then all these forms fade into just a kind of indiscriminate fuzz of, of, of light. And you're still seeing things. The eyes are still there, the visual consciousness is there. And then you can bring it right down to one point, say the button on somebody's shirt, you know, so you get that little point there and everything else around it. If you focus on that point, everything else around it disappears into a fuzz. So you're only able to sustain the experience of people in this room by your eye continually darting and flickering from a point to another point, to the background, to the foreground, that continual flickering of, of visual consciousness. Visual consciousness firing, flickering again and again and again and again and again so that you get this experience of a three-dimensional reality out there that you see. But then if you really, instead of, you're not not interested in forms or repelled by forms or making anything out of forms, so you're cooled out as far as forms go, (laughs) then you can notice this is seeing. 
This is the field. This is the sense base of seeing. This is the field of visual consciousness. And it's not three-dimensional. It's this. Our mind is rather like that. You know, the mind consciousness operates in the same way. Now, in, with the with the visual consciousness, say you, first of all, you're, if you're interested in particular forms, then you'd focus on that. Now, what if you were just interested in uh, how's good my eyesight? What's my eyesight like? Then you'd be aware in a slightly different way, wouldn't you? You'd be not so much you'd be in, you'd be interested in forms only in so much as they would tell you how sharp your eyes were. So you can see, oh, you know person in the sixth row looks a bit fuzzy. He's not fuzzy, I'm fuzzy. <laughs> you know, you'd know that, wouldn't you? So you can actually use forms then to, to give you a, uh, a readout on how clear your eyesight is. Similarly with uh, mindfulness of breathing. You know, you've got this breath thing. There's nothing out there, there's no breath out there. Your breath is a uh, uh, a, a message from the tactile consciousness, a particular set of patterns. Now, first of so having relinquished body, relinquished that external thing, and say now you're looking just at the message, and then how good's your eyesight? Yeah, you want to keep wandering, flickering, is it fuzzy? Then sharpening it up. So this way you can actually sharpen uh, the mind's focus. So you can't improve your eyes, but you can, the mind, you can sharpen it to get clearer. You use a form like breathing to sharpen your mind. This is sharpen the mind's attentiveness. But the, the aim of this, still, is to, is to sharpen the mind, not really to get more into the breath, as it is, because, because there isn't a breath. There's an impression of the breath. Yeah. Just like if I'm looking at the guy in the tenth row. Yeah. I never, my eyes are never going to touch that man. But they will touch their visual impression. That's so then you can then you can you can use that to to sharpen my eyes. So this is what we're doing in meditation. You're sharpening your mind like that. So just to give up the idea of the breath or some bodily experience. Now when, so when the, you see what happens when just that difference between concern over a visual form as an external reality, and then using a visual form as, a, as an indicator. There's a kind of stepping back in terms of attitude, isn't there? Now that's what we do with the breathing. You first of all have to get what's happening there. It's a little, you know, you're, maybe you're quite strong on that as an object. And then finding that balance where you're, you're strong on it as an object in order to let go of distracting alternatives which are caught up in, in these hindrance patterns then 
this is just a slight that shift of attitude to a shift of, of attention to the regarding of the object the clarity so if you like the, the mind begins to step back or feel itself just as when one is testing one's eyes you know, looking at the object and then, then considering the sharpness of one's eyes which doesn't mean ignoring the object does it it's just a slight change of of attitude, slight change of inclination. So you, this is something to cultivate in anapanasati. So that that process whereby the mind more and more increasingly comes into itself, using the breath as a as a guide. So it comes into itself first by giving up distractions karma that goes on extraneous to the breath then it gives up the, the kind of um, karma that's object dependence that's, that's, that is karmic tendencies associated not that don't separate from one from the object but maintain a kind of uh, an object dependence grasping holding, worrying uh, and so around this is the, comes the experience. I've got to concentrate on the breath. How well am I doing? I will, you know, if I do this long enough, I will get to such and such a state. I can't do it, kind of thing. So we are looking, at, we're using that, trying to accumulate concentration. You accumulate frustration instead. Because it's not an accumulative experience. It's a maturation that we're looking at. And maturation is comes through this really taking refuge and regarding the, the mind, your, your awareness is the primary thing. And have confidence in that. So sometimes you can be more aware of the breath when you, you give up a little bit and just trust yourself. So you get kind of slightly, rather than get too gripped and, and forceful about it. Sitting peacefully, calmly, and allowing yourself to feel your body. And then, are you breathing? Feeling your breath. As the, when the mind begins to come into its own, then there's this stepping back to the what we call the, the what I'm calling the short breath, which means instead of riding your attention on the breath, your attention begins to rest very much in the present moment standing still and the breath or the impressions of the breath flow through it so the, the experience and this comes around as a kind of in, inclination to, towards calm and stillness so first of all one gives up distracting impressions so you're with the breath and the breath impression itself is fairly um, it's mobile, it's moving along and then one begins to Feel this is a bit rough too, and so you stand still. You become more one-pointed. And the one-pointedness 
has a, after a while has a kind of slightly tense or cramped feeling to it. So then one begins to recognize, there's a recognition, this is slightly strained. And then the mind can kind of open itself. So um, once one is, once one, the mind has, has mastered the experience of sense objects, so that the sense objects no longer excite or um, fascinate or one has no problems with them, then you know, you, you've, you've drawn all your energy and your, your intentions into awareness and then your awareness can flood the, the, the field of the mind. So this is like extending through the whole experience, the whole experience of consciousness. And that's associated with a, a relief, like a, a joyful, rapturous feeling. Just as if we exercise the body, the body feels toned up. So the body feels, uh, if you like, there's a kind of bodily rapture when one is fit and one is well exercised. Then even stand, sitting or standing, you feel there's a glow and a brightness in the body. Similarly, when you exercise the mind, like this, there's a glow and a brightness in the mind. That's, that's the state, that's the natural state of a healthy, healthy mind well-exercised mind. This is, so this is what the, the second tetrad is about, the experiences of rapture and ease, the well-being of, a, of an exercised mind. Then to begin to let go of the karma associated with well-being, which is to, to want to hold it, be fascinated by it, delight in it, so there's that kind of uh, wanting to, 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 to grasp that. Um, and this is where you go to the third, which is really based upon the experience of uh, knowing. So we talked, it's expressed as um, experiencing the citta, experience which is thoroughly sensitive, thoroughly attuned, thoroughly um, receiving mind, jitta, and jitta is is itself is awareness. Is the is this is the awareness um, experience. So, if you like going to the knowing. This is if you use again the the analogy of the visual consciousness. There's forms. There's eyesight, which is the second. So when the eyesight is good. Uh, when the eyesight is sharp, there's a certain um, brightness and, and gladness about that, the visual beauty of things. But beyond that, there is the act of the seeing. So, you know, when your eyes are open, if you have a functioning eye, the seeing. It can be dark, it can be light, you can be short-sighted, near-sighted, but you're still seeing. So awareness is like that the, the, the seeing, the ability to see. So awareness is always present. But because of the fascination with forms, we either rejoice in forms or long for forms or can't quite get this right. So that the, 
the ability to, to be seeing, if you like, is not noted. It's, it's what you see, or even the, the sharpness or the, the enjoyment, the beauty of seeing. But the fact of seeing, which is natural, innate, um, you know, can't, isn't, as long as you have an eye, it's there. Similarly, as long as, as long as there's mind, then there's awareness. But to reside in that means to have um, finished with the karma of forms and the karma of perception and the karma associated with, with feeling tones, pleasant, bright feeling tones. You're going to the knowing. And uh, the, the advantage of this is the knowing is more constant and steadier and more uh, calmer than any kind of perception or feeling. Thoroughly dwelling in that, thoroughly experiencing that, uplifting it, gladdening it, which is the second, it's to really acknowledge and lift up this, steadying oneself in it, and then liberating it from all the, the self-forming tendencies, the tendency to hold, tendency to, to imagine, tendency to make a, a, a statement out of it. As I think has been pointed out, then the many other practices uh, flow into anapanasati, and so the skills that one develops in this affect and affect other practices and affect one's life and, and vice versa. And probably the, 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 uh, the training in gladdening and steadying, uh, the, the, the most obvious thing that that connects to is devotion. Devotional practices. What does it mean to be devoted? This actually is the the, the faith faculty, and it's considered to be um, for someone who who is um, really interested in taking this all the way. This is um, irreplaceable. It's something that you, that you want to look at occasions to 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 enhance and to give yourself to uh, so that the faith faculty can grow. It takes a while, but in essence, it's this ability to just give yourself to commit to not be hanging back, to not, when it comes to the crunch, instead of going back to, well, I think, well, I don't, well, maybe, I just go with it. <laughs> you know? And so when you have a situation that's, that's bounded by sila, and in this way, then go with it. Give yourself the opportunity. Take a risk. Go with it. Just give yourself to it. It, what you, you know, it, it may be psychologically unsettling, but um, that's good. One's psychology needs some upset, needs some unsettling. <laughs> you get three, three, you know, if you don't think it does, then <laughs> well, we find out. So, you know, this is of course what, what the, um, you know, why we do have Buddha images and so forth. Um, 
You know, it's, it's essentially a particular um, enactment, and so you can use Buddha images and chanting as, a, as occasions for that. I can un- understand that one can have reservations or resistances or feel uncomfortable about it. Um, of course, it's not necessary to do these things as long as you can get the, the, the basic spirit of it. You know, these, these forms are forms. Um, but the essential thing is to, is to be able to just fully give oneself into the present moment and get beyond thinking and measuring and comparing. Get beyond those kinds of things. Where the, so, like when you're in the morning, you know, the bell goes or it's time to get up, then before the thought gets you, <laughs> get up. <laughs> You know, that's what devotion is. <laughs> it's how to get quicker than thought. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, the, the, you can do that. You can see the thought, well, I don't know. Let me think about that. Well, maybe I, and then you've lost it. <laughs> I'm sure. You know, then it's really a struggle to actually try and convince yourself to rationalize. Like, it's a slow way to do it, to rationalize yourself into it. Then again, I could. Forget it. That's that's a more meaningful devotion than than lighting incense and and chanting. (laughs) Actually, these things are useful as a group reference. When it comes down to it, the the real point of devotion is to be able to get quicker than thought and and go and, and commit and give yourself. And recognize, you know, the opportunity to do that. There's, in many situations, the opportunity when one can kind of hold, hang on, resist, you know, accumulate, get mine, you know, get some hard skin around me. This is mine, mine, my right, my my privilege, my time, mine. (laughs) 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 That kind of thing. It's always that possibility. When you're dead or dying, then then you've got to do it. You don't want to be doing it when you're on your on your last breath, still going mine, mine. <laughs> so it's just the it's just a chance to start getting past death. Give give up, give yourself. Then there's awareness. It's not you haven't lost that. It's not like believing in something. So you're not trying to, you know, like with say with Buddha images, you don't really think that piece of brass that they're going to do you any favors. Then this would be, you know, this this is blind belief and superstition. So we're not devoted to a, a form, you're just using a form or an occasion to cultivate that particular expression of the heart. So the same thing in the morning, it doesn't, you know, getting up at five, four, two, three, six, doesn't matter really, on one level, but to just be able to go for it without thinking, without measuring, to give up, 
that's, that's the important thing. So your awareness is free from that. And you're aware. It's there. You haven't lost a thing. Of course, you know, in our sort of this uh, cultural milieu, there's always that feeling of, well, what do I want to do? And, you know, my right and my freedom, my independence, <laughs> these kind of things. So, you, you know, there's a bit of t- holding there. But, you know, see if you can understand those, those, those thought forms, that psychology, and it's, it's aridity, it's sterility. It doesn't get you out of yourself. So the main, you know, the, the, the get over that karma of being somebody, somebody special, somebody different, somebody who's independent, somebody who's themselves. That's, that's as far as it will go. You're stuck with being yourself forever, do you? Because <laughs> that's, that's what rebirth is about. You know, you're going to come back and do this whole thing again. <laughs> so get out of yourself. That's it. That's it. Then, you, then there's the knowing. And the beauty of it is that you, know, you, you, you find you, you realize that yourself is only one little pattern in your knowing. You know, you've chosen a pattern. It's not even a very good pattern. (laughs) You know, there are better ones, but you chose this kind of, sort of slightly dowdy, mildewed, you know, cramped, unhappy pattern, and hanging on to it. (laughs) And trying to cram truth inside it. You know, let me fill it up with, with, with awareness. You can't. So you, you know, you, it's like it's too small. But you can move out of it. So that's, this is what uh, devotion, in essence, is, is that particular gesture. The grand-hearted, the giving up, the, the fearlessness. To, to go beyond one's boundaries. In this, particularly in a situation which is very safe and friendly, benevolent, supportive. It's a nursery for that kind of thing. You won't regret it. You don't lose anything. Anything you lose is something you haven't got in the first place. But because of that shedding, then it's like stripping away purification. We realize the transparent, the awareness that's transparent, it has no form, doesn't go anywhere, doesn't come from anywhere, it's neither in things nor apart from things. You see things through that medium, that transparent medium, and it's because of your, your attitude and your letting go of forms, perceptions, psychologies, emotions, because of your dispassion towards them, that you begin to feel that transparent, clear awareness. In terms of of what we call the puja, is like the celebration of that. Buddha, you you can call it Buddha, or Dhamma, it's lifting it up, celebrating it, throwing oneself into it, rejoicing in it, and then steadying, calming yourself into it. 
and liberating the, this, the, the, that from any kind of um, holding uh, conceit. I am this, um, you know, this is my true nature or whatever, the way in which one likes to put a net around awareness and haul it away as loot. <laughs> it doesn't need to be because it's, it's everywhere. Now, in terms of anapanasati, then you go, you cultivating the, the sign of the breath, recognize it as a sign. It's like an echo. Go to that resonance and what the mind does around that resonance. Deep and steady into it, calm it, drink it in, steady, steady your, your relationship with that. Cool out your relationship with that so the mind, so you're, you're, you have a settling and steadying and then the knowing the awareness of that so breath is purely a, 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 a code and so this breath thing actually changes, becomes different things fades out altogether but there's still awareness and this is the way it's supposed to be When your attention gets fogged, then you can go to the, the rhythm of the breath, the pulse of the breath, the, phys- the apparent physical realities of it, the strong sensations, or to just balancing your mind, to putting aside the, 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 the panic or the anxiety or the, the floundering. So just working on the mind, working on the breath, bringing them together and then uh, gradually, successively releasing yourself from the, releasing the awareness from the grip of karma formations, perceptions, feelings, 